If you have your Bible today, turn with me to John 20, verse 21. title of my message is, So Send I You. If you've gotten to John 20 yet, Jesus said to the disciples, As the Father sent me, so send I you. The disciples continued to meet in the upper room. Uh, That was where the Lord had his supper with his disciples. The disciples, of course, were scared to death. They were terrified. The Jewish authorities had put Jesus to death, and the disciples were afraid that it was their turn next. And so every little noise, every... uh, thing that they heard on the outside, they thought, oh, this is it. As they sat in the upper room when the stairs would creak outside leading up to where they were, they thought, well, this is it. If somebody knocked on the door, probably half of them would have had a heart attack. Uh, It was a very difficult time for them. They were afraid of the emissaries from the Sanhedrin, that they were coming to arrest them and torture them And finally kill them. That's what they thought was their destiny. As they sat there, a miracle happened. Just right in the middle of the room. A miracle happened. Jesus appeared. He just showed up in the middle of the room. He gave them the normal everyday greeting. I'm sure they were all kind of, you know, didn't know how to respond to what had just happened. But Jesus said, peace be to you. And, of course, it was his voice. and They recognized it was him. They didn't have any question in their minds about that. Then Jesus gave his disciples the commission, which the church must never forget, that we today still need to follow. Jesus said that as God had sent him forth, he was sending them forth talking to the disciples. Some have called this the charter of the church. And certainly it is. The charter means three different things. Number one, it means that Jesus needs the church. Jesus had come with a message for all men, every man. But then Jesus is going back to glory, to heaven, to be with his Father. The message could never be taken unto all men unless the church took it. So Jesus gave them that commission. So send I you that they would go and that they would do the work. Church was to be a mouth to speak for Jesus. The church was to be the feet that could run Jesus' errands. The church was to be the hands that did the work that Jesus was doing. Secondly, it means that the church needs Jesus. A person who is sent out has to have somebody that sends them. And if you're going out to send a message, you've got to have the message. You've got to have a message as you go out. He needs a power and an authority to back up the message that he has. He needs someone to whom he can turn when he is in doubt or as he is in difficulty of any kind. The church really, really 
needs Jesus. Without Jesus, the church has nothing to enlighten her name, nothing to strengthen her arm, and nothing to encourage her heart. Thirdly, the sending out of the church by Jesus is parallel to God sending Jesus out. The relationship between Jesus and God was continually dependent upon Jesus' perfect obedience and his perfect submission and his perfect love. Therefore, it follows that the church, you and I of today, is only fit to be the messenger of this great message and be the instrument of Christ is if we really love and want to obey everything that God would say to us. God intends for all of us to serve. There are no folks that are handicapped to God. God says every one of you can have a message, in fact, a very meaningful message, to our world that so desperately needs it. We serve in a world where high-tech is everywhere. You go into a building, you know, all this high-tech everywhere. If you go to the grocery store now, you got to check yourself out. Uh, You know, all the technology in all the homes. Uh, I I just know how to do emails on mine. That's about the limit of what I know about it. Uh, I I can't uh, figure all that out. Uh, The more high-tech you have, the more personal touch you need. You know, some people go in at 8 o'clock in the morning, they sit behind a computer, and they're there all day long. And then when time ends for the day, they get up. Guess what they need? They need a hug, or they need a touch, or they need a kind word from somebody. We need to touch people and let them know that we love them. Jesus sent them out. He said, so send I you. To do this. What did he send us to do? He sent us to touch people physically, emotionally, and relationally. Telling people that we really do care about them. We're trying to touch people all over the world by sending out some missionaries. Our church supports 30 missionaries. We're into this missions thing. Uh, we, we believe in it. Uh, there are another group of missionaries through the Timothy Initiative that we're likewise uh, providing some of the support that they need. We support these folks by emailing them, by writing them letters, by helping their children at Christmas time, by this offering that we take. We do everything that we can do to reach out to our missionaries and try and and help and build up the ministry that they're involved in. All of these missionaries are trying to communicate to the people with whom they interface the love of God. Christ transcends all classes and all cultures. When the gospel is identified with just one ethnic group or just one socioeconomic group, then we are misrepresenting the gospel. I read where one preacher said that he believed that every born-again true believer who tithed would never be in want. 
That kind of preaching completely alienates the poor. Completely. What do you suppose Jesus would be like if he were here today ministering in his physical form uh, in the inner church, the ghetto church? What would that be like? Would he be like the television evangelist that has a jet waiting at Tampa International? Would he be the guru of the latest social encounter group? Or would he be the gospel huckster on the radio preaching for dollars? I don't think Jesus would be any of those three things. Some people sing he's got the whole world in his hand. But they don't want to be with friends with anybody that's different than them. They just want that closed-in group. That they already have. I don't think John 20, 21, which is our text today, it doesn't mean that we are to run out and witness to some small group of people somewhere and then get in our fancy car and drive back an hour later to a plush uh, comfort away from the rude masses of people. That's not how it ought to be set up. Ministry requires the giving of self. You know, this Thanksgiving, we're having a big meal here at the church. My wife has already been cooking for two days toward that. Uh, we we want to have a lot of food and a lot of people. And we want to reach out to folks. Nobody has invited them to go to Thanksgiving lunch. Nobody, it seems, cares much about them. We want to reach out to every one of those people and tell them we are going to have a great lunch and we want you to come and eat with us and sit with us and talk with us. Please come. Well, you know, if we do that, we're doing what the text of the message today says. So send I you. He doesn't have to send us to Australia to be sending us. He can send us next door or down the street or upstairs. He can send us a lot of different places. And he wants to. And we need, of course, to heed that call and to sense what the Lord is trying to get us to do. It requires the giving of self. Jesus certainly gave self. He gave his life. He gave it all for you and for me. The Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister to others and to give his life for them. Jesus came to serve others, a mythology that, that still works today. Jesus washed dirty feet. I have never washed anybody else's dirty feet in my whole life. Have you? I never have. It seems like that situation never came about. Uh, How can we do what Jesus did? How can we follow in his footsteps? I believe it takes a lot of time listening. Listening. You know, if you listen to somebody for a while, what's going going on in their life will come out. And you can tell if they are in great pain. And great uh, difficulty. They're having a hard time. 
You need to listen. You know, most of us don't listen very much. We want the other person to hurry up and get through so we can talk. And we can say what we think is important. Well, listening. We need to try to comfort folks with a broken heart. You know, one of the things that uh, Tom Townsend does is so good. He does uh, these uh, grief groups. And that's really helpful. You know, when you've lost a dear loved one, that's important. It's really important. And we need to reach out to those that have had something happen in their life uh, this past year. We need to touch them with love and let them know for sure that we're trying to touch their particular heart. We do need doctrine. Of course we do. But we need action as well. That's very important. If we are to fulfill the Great Commission, we must not forget the Great Commandment. Well, what is the great commandment? One time I had a fellow say to me, Ron, could you give me the cliff notes of the Bible? Could you kind of, you know, just kind of boil it down for me? I thought a minute about that. You know, I thought, well, I could say this, I could say this, I could say this. And I thought, well, I said, the Bible says to love God and love other people. And you know, that's what we're supposed to do. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Love God and love other people. Well, some of our neighbors are hungry. And we need somehow or another to help them with food. Some of our neighbors are getting a divorce. And we need to be loving to them. To both of them. To both of them. Some of our neighbors are working with computers all the time and they need a loving, caring touch when they're away from the office. Some evangelists say, come to Jesus and he will solve all of your problems. Well, the problem with that is that it's not true. Sometimes when you are following Jesus, a lot of troubles begin for you. Many times in my ministry, I have had somebody trust in Christ that was coming to our church. And then they went home and told their husband or wife, you know, I trusted in Jesus today. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to join the church and serve him. I want to do everything I can. And then the other person is thinking while you're saying all that, what in the world is going on here? Why are you saying those things? I want things to stay exactly like they are. Now, you've turned into a religious nut. How in the world are we going to make this? And sometimes they don't make it. They don't make it. Because one of the two has trusted in Christ and really given their life to Christ. This happens with teenagers. You know, sometimes there's kids that are 18, 19 years old. And they've been on dope with their close friends. And they've been cussing all the time with their best friends. And they've been taking advantage of other people with their best friends. And then all of a sudden, through some circumstance, 
They come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Just boom, it happens. And then they don't want to cuss anymore. They don't want to uh, be on dope anymore. They don't want to put people down anymore. And so their friends who had been very close-knit with them for a few years, they don't want to be around them. So it's a problem. It's a big problem. You know, trusting in Christ and really giving your heart and soul to him can make a tremendous change in our life, sometimes some of which is a pain. And we have to work through that for the glory of God and for the importance of the message that we have to give. Our church has 400 plus members. Some don't show up. Others, uh, we think, why, why don't they understand that this is important? Uh, why, why aren't they here? We're, we're trying to reach the world with the gospel. We're trying to send missionaries to, to reach the places we don't go. We're trying to lead our neighbors to Christ. This is important stuff. They ought to be here. Don't they understand that they're supposed to be a part of the ministry of this church? Now, if you believe once saved, always saved, like I do, I hope you believe it, and then you think that you can quit going to church after you've trusted in Christ and and it doesn't make any difference any longer about your attitudes or actions because you've already trusted in Christ. So once saved, always saved. You're in and that's it. Now, if you think that way, you simply don't understand the gospel. Do you know what uh, I believe Jesus said about inactive members in the New Testament? I think he said this, they went out from us because they were not a part of us. That's what it says. Do you suppose Jesus is more concerned about us being on the list of one of the fastest growing churches in Florida or whether we are uh, to be faithful to the gospel? Which one of those is more important? Of course, the Lord wants our church to grow. Of course, he wants that. But the other is very, very important, to be faithful to the gospel. And if it comes a choice between those two, you want the latter. Because we want to be faithful to the gospel to our dying breath. That's important. Let me pose a question. The church growth movement in America today makes numerical growth the acid test of whether or not a church is successful. Yet there are many churches whose faithfulness to the gospel is the reason that they are not growing. Sometimes you'll live somewhere and maybe Japanese people or people that are Hindus or people that are uh, from some other place in the world, move into your neighborhood and take over the neighborhood. That happened to to some folks I was real close friends with in Atlanta. Their whole neighborhood changed in about six months. And the pastor and staff and people in the church that had been serving that area, what were they to do? Were Were they to close and to move out, hopefully finding the people that left? Or 
or are they supposed to stay there and minister to the folks that have been left behind and try and meet the new people that came in, this new group of totally different people? You know, it's real difficult to do that. It's very, very hard. Sometimes, many of you are military, you know about this, you move to some base and there's a church that is really great and it's growing and God is blessing and people are being saved. And then they get orders and they all leave. They just leave all of a sudden. And then there's a pastor and staff and some godly people in the church and they say, well, gosh, three-fourths of the church just left. What are we going to do? And some of them decide, we're going to stay here for the ones that were left. And when the new ones come, we're going to welcome them and make them feel at home in the house of God. Sometimes it's real, real hard to do the right thing. Some churches are silent on critical issues. How many churches talk about helping starving people? How many churches try to help single parents with their financial nightmare that they're going through? How many churches have surrendered to culture? Just surrendered to it all the way. Has joined the culture in every, in every way. We're called to be the salt of the earth, not bland and tasteless. Have you ever heard someone say, well, they have their church and we have our church? Well, what would Jesus think about that? That wouldn't go over very well with him. How do we relate to the cross of Christ when we would say something like that? So many people that are in this church are great about reaching out. One of the things that I'm most proud of about our church is that we have people that are members here that go see everybody on their floor for Jesus. They go to see everybody that's right around them in the hospital. They go see everybody in the neighborhood. We have a lady that's a member of our church named Jermaine. If you move into Jermaine's neighborhood, you're going to get it, brother. You're going to hear the gospel whether you want to or not. You're going to be invited to church, and she's going to check on you to see if you can And uh, if you don't come, she'll be back the next week to see you again. You know, we have a lot of people in our church that are doing exactly what our text today says to do. So send I you. And they feel sent and they go and they do it. In your club, in your neighborhood, whatever grouping it might be. Sometimes numbers are not what Jesus is after. Paul never asked one church in all the letters that he wrote. He never asked one church to give a report on whether or not their baptisms were up. He never would agree with baptizing all the preschoolers in the area because that would help the numbers. Uh, Jesus wouldn't go for that. Paul did ask the folks over and over again, about their progress in Christian living. He wants everybody to be involved in that. He did ask them again and again and again about the stewardship of their possessions. 
He got all over them about arrogance and putting other people down. He doesn't like that at all. Not at all. I think churches will grow numerically that also grow ethically and in caring ways. I don't, my goal is not that we would have the biggest church in Florida. My goal is that we would have a loving family. And if we do that, our church will grow. That follows. When you have a loving church, everybody is praying for everybody else. Everybody is trying to help everybody else. Everybody is trying to put people up and not put people down. If we do that, God blesses the church and the church grows. A lot of what I see in churches today is show business. It makes me uh, ill. I believe a lot of people that associate, for instance, with big-time evangelists and expensive automobiles and mountain retreats and even institutions built to satisfy some preacher's ego. We are not going to have the Jim Feast Tower of Power here. We're not going to do that. We're not going to have the Tom Townsend Crystal Cathedral here. We're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. What we are going to do is we are going to preach and teach and visit and pray a lot. That is what we're going to do. And we're going to continue doing it until God calls us home. I'm thankful there are a lot of pastors and churches who are just preaching the gospel and trying to help Christians grow in their faith. A lot of churches have not turned their worship service over into some three-ring circus. Years ago, I went to visit this church, and they had a big sign out front, picture of this guy breaking a board with his hand. And I thought, well, that's, that's good. That'll reach young people, maybe. And uh, so I... Went in, sat down, and for an hour, this fellow would get up and talk for about five minutes, and then the first board he had to break was about that thick, you know, just tiny, just boom, you know, it was broken. And then he would talk for about five minutes, and then they'd bring out a little thicker board. Boom! And hit it, and it would break. People would clap, and uh, people would think, that's just wonderful. And uh, he would talk a little bit, and then they'd bring out a thicker board. And he'd break it, and everybody would clap and everything. That went on for an hour. And uh, finally, of course, this was the big thing we were building up to. They bring out this huge, big board, really a big board. And uh, he goes through all these motions, you know. Get, getting ready, you know. He's getting ready. And he's, do, you know, kind of... Jumps around a little bit. And then finally, you know, big drum roll here. And uh, finally, you know, he jumps up and he, bam, you know, breaks the big board. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I have been sitting here an hour watching a guy break boards. And uh, I hope and pray that maybe some of the young people were reached there through that. I don't quite know exactly how that would happen, but uh, I hope it did. You know, I think the church needs to center in 
on the Word of God. That's what I think. And if we do that, we'll be following the commission that the Lord has given to us. Some churches still sing, In the cross of Christ I glory. I like Christians who can spend some time with poor people and college students and children. Some ministers are still willing to do premarital counseling. Some ministers are still dealing with families that have lost a loved one. Some people that are ministers are still out visiting the sick and trying to bring comfort to them. Isn't it wonderful that we still have some great country churches and some inner city churches? Boy, that is hard work. In the inner city. Hard, hard work. We have some churches where caring is the order of the day. And that's what we want. And that's what some churches are doing. And some regional churches have a qualitative ministry. They're reaching a whole lot of people for Jesus. I think that's wonderful. We have some great churches in our land. People being converted. It doesn't all happen in a split second. Doesn't happen that way. In a way, as we grow older, there is more of us that needs to be converted. You know, our practices are different. Our places of vacation are different. Our methodology in our daily life is different. Things we like to eat are different. You know, we change. We gradually change. Our dress uh, changes. If it doesn't, it should. I hope you are making some decisions today that will make you more like Jesus. Jesus is sending us out to serve. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. I want to give you a challenge today. I want you, as you're driving home, I want you to think of some folks that might not have a place to be thanksgiving. And I want you to invite them to come and have it with us. I want to invite you to get to know them and to lead them to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If anybody would like to come and make a decision for Christ, trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior, if you'd like to come and join our church, we'd love to have you. If you'd like to come rededicate your life, that would be wonderful. Well, let's stand and sing. I'll be standing down here waiting on you.